0: If you're listening to this disclaimer and are under the age of 18 and or are easily offended, you may not want to listen to this podcast. It can contain explicit and graphic content that is not suitable for all listeners. This is for mature audiences only. Parental and listener discretion is advised. What?! here! Why?! Just come here! Fine! Ugh, kids. Hey everyone! You're listening to Hooters Daily. Where we talk about just a bunch of random shit. In today's episode, episode 4, finally getting on to. I'm making progress, everyone. I'm I'm getting there. But in episode 5, we're bringing booty back. And what I mean by that is I want to talk about why bigger booties get more attention than smaller. Or, sometimes, why does it seem like smaller booties are better at twerking? At some point in every woman's life, they hear a man being asked if he's a tit man or more of an ass man. And in most cases, he, the man in question, is one or the other. But I have noticed that men these days seem to be more about both but there is still that distinct like of one over the other there are those few famous favorite songs that significantly talk about ass and the fact that bigger seems to be better at least for um as far as being able to sit on a built-in cushion A bigger ass is better. And if I mention the songs, you'd probably get them stuck in your head. So I'm going to mention them. Like, for instance, uh, My Anaconda don't. My Anaconda don't. My Anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. Or, I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Excuse my singing, I'm not very good. Um, a new study just published in the Journal of Evolution and Human Behavior, be researchers examined whether men's attracted, attract, I can't talk today. Attraction to women with more prominent rear ends might represent one such evolved mating preference. The shape of a woman, the shape of a woman's buttocks is a meaningful cue to female fertility or so many think because of primitive people and the need to reproduce so here's some interesting science research from the university of texas at austin found that what men are really drawn to isn't so much the size of the derriere but the curve Or, more specifically, the spinal curvature that offers the illusion of a shapely butt. What researchers found, overwhelmingly, men preferred the uber-bendy images that showed the lower spine curved at a 45 degree angle from back to buttocks. Or ass, whichever you want to call it. There's so many names. But... Before those of you, like me, with a pancake flat caboose, get a little snobby or, shall we say, uh, cheeky, (laughs) more science says the reason guys are giving those pushed out tushes all that love does have more to do with prehistoric influences than standards of beauty. This brings me to want to talk about yoga pants the pants that many women think make their ass look very nice let me give you my opinion real quick yoga pants i've had this discussion before and we're going to talk about it a little bit on that episode with my friends that we that i recorded on my birthday if i ever get it freaking edited enough to upload yeah that's I, I will I mean well y- you'll hear more about yoga pants on that anyway I want to talk about them though because here's my opinion if you don't look in the mirror after you put them on, you 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 love to wear them but you refuse refuse to look in the mirror at yourself and at your ass crack when you look in the fucking mirror you refuse to look and check it out make sure that your ass isn't looking like it's fucking starving and eating your pants i'm sorry it makes you look like you're wearing nothing and i personally do not i mean women are attractive don't get me wrong i think women are beautiful. And it's not because I have a sexual preference towards them or anything. I just generally, as a heterosexually, you know, sexual woman, I think women are beautiful. But because of this, I do not want to see your pants riding so far up your ass crack that it's like you're using them as toilet paper. And with that being said, I want to go back to talking about, um, the reason why men like big butts. So since pregnancy pitches the center of gravity forward, This spinal structure would have enabled pregnant women to balance their weight over the hips. These women would have been more effective at foraging during pregnancy and less likely to suffer spinal injuries. In turn, men who preferred these women would have had mates who were better able to provide for the fetus or offspring and who would have been able to carry out multiple pregnancies without injury. So, in general terms relevant to today, prehistoric people were more attracted to a strong, curvy-backed woman for the survival purpose of the young, and family. A website had this question asked, and it had honest answers from men on their take on a big ass. The link is in the description below, or the show notes. But, (laughs) get it, (laughs) to put it frankly, I think the size doesn't really matter. It's how you present it. If you want one that's looking nice, wear the right clothing. And that brings us back to not always wearing yoga pants. I mean, okay, I was reading, and I talked about this before, and you already heard about it. Um i was reading about it and wearing yoga pants all the time can be bad i found on an er- on an article by someone who wears them religiously and they stated that they were curious about it and if they were bad for you so here are some of the highlights from the article that the yoga pants can cause or why they're bad one they can cause this is also called tight pants syndrome and bacteria and sweat gets caught in the fabrics yes even the breathable ones and rubs against your skin causing serious acne or pimples on your cheeks and no not the cheeks on your face obviously it's not a cheeky situation they can also buck up your circulation It's like wearing a hair tie on your wrist that's too tight. This can happen on your legs easily by being constrained by your yoga pants. Number three, they can make yeast infections a lot more common. Like with Buttony, it can trap moisture and bacteria around your vag. And this is what yeast infections thrive on. I hope many of the women listening know that. Um, four... They can cause random ingrown hairs to pop up. These are extremely painful, itchy, and just straight-up annoying. The constant constraint of your skin in tight fabric isn't good for you. That's why taking off your bra feels so good. Five, they can cause you to have gassy heartburn. It strains your innards and hinders digestion. Uh, Six, they can cause nasty-ass fungal growth. This is the most disgusting thing. This is also called uh, jock itch. Basically, other than my opinion on them, of course, of being them too tight and becoming your asshole's permanent toilet paper, especially if y'all wearing thongs with them, that's just nasty. Not thongs but the toilet paper butt floss aspect. To end this rant, please keep your health in mind, physically and mentally. As comfortable as they can be, they don't always look great, and they can cause health problems. If you want comfort and style, research what fits your body best. You don't have to scrap out leggings completely, but they shouldn't be a serious staple. Don't rely on them as a security blanket. I will have some of the um, sites where I got this information located in the show notes. Now on to segment two, weird phobias. I wanted to talk about these because I have a phobia. I actually have two, but... These are some of the weirder ones. And forgive me for maybe mispronouncing them. I'm going to try my best. Um, number one that I found was phobophobia. phobophobia. This is a phobia of fear of fears. It's a fear of fears. This is actually much more common than you might have. Imagine, Um, nomophobia is a fear of being without a smartphone. Uh, This is a relatively new phobia, but it's a phobia nonetheless. Oblutophobia is the photo, the photo, the phobia of cleaning. Ablutophobia is the persistent fear of cleaning, washing, or bathing and occur- occurs more in children and women than men. Anyone with pog- pogonophobia isn't too fond of beards. So it's safe to say that no-shave November probably isn't their favorite month. And one of mine I just recently realized I had is the tripophobia which refers to the fear of things with lots of tiny holes and it isn't even recognized as an official phobia yet. These are just a few in a long list but I wanted to share a couple I thought were a bit weird including mine and if you have any of these phobias I'm sorry but Just know that there are others out there like you, and I don't judge you for having them. But some, like cleaning, can't be helped but be a necessity for your health. So, the next one is a case I recently heard about on a YouTube video. And this is a completely different subject than the phobias. This is a true crime case. And I've really been into true crime lately for probably like the past year or so. And I heard about this one and I wanted to look it up because it seemed somewhat similar to that boy in the box case that I talked about. And thankfully, this case has some closure. Well, it's getting closure in February of 1990, which is the year I was born, an infant was found by a man picking wildflowers for his wife. This happened the day before Valentine's Day, which we recently had, and this is how the infant got her name. Her name is Julie Valentine. The poor, lifeless, six-pound newborn baby girl was wrapped in newspaper and abandoned in a cardboard box found in a field on a cold Valentine's Day, and left Greenville investigators grasping for answers for nearly three decades. In April of 2019, police chief Chief Ken Miller announced that there was finally a breakthrough in the case of the child known as Julie Valentine. Miller said investigators found and charged the girl's mother, 53-year-old Brooke Graham in the baby's death. Police said she drove her baby to an overgrown area next to a field where it appeared to be a dumping ground and was next to a couch and other debris. The site near, excuse me, I'm going to butcher this, but Verde Boulevard, I'm not sure if that's how you say Verde, but anyway, was within just a mile of where Brooks' home was on Hamilton Road. Or not Hel- Hamilton, Halton Road. An autopsy determined the baby was breathing outside of the womb before she died. Through the years, the baby has become a symbol for child abuse prevention, and a Greenville center that serves child abuse survivors was given the name that investigators investigators had given the baby julie valentine investigators have said that the placenta sheets towels and everything appeared or everything that appeared to have been used during delivery was found inside the box with the baby's body the baby appeared full term and did not appear to have any abnormalities abnormalities The baby wasn't born in a hospital and was most likely to have been born in a home. Graham and her then-boyfriend had been on police officer's radar from the case's inception, but evidence wasn't strong enough to make an arrest. An arrest warrant warrant states that a review of past purchases showed that Graham and her boyfriend bought the same vacuum that was tied to the box that held the baby. The couple did not produce the box from the purchase of the vacuum at the time. Detectives were able to logically connect the pair to the infant due to the circumstantial evidence, but legally and biologically they couldn't. It was only a small amount of circumstantial evidence. In 2011, the Julie Valentine Center... A Greenville nonprofit. Oh my god. Excuse me. In 2011, the Julie Valentine Center, a Greenville nonprofit offering free and confidential services to victims of sexual and child abuse, was renamed in honor, in honor of the infant. With so many unanswered questions still in the air, It's nice to know that she at least was given a name. Law enforcement called the baby Julie after Detective Christie's wife, Juliana. Valentine was chosen since the baby was found a day before Valentine's Day. The executive of the Julie Valentine Center said, We knew it was the right thing to do. The very first day that we reopened and had clients walk through the door, they told us how much easier it was to walk through the door of a building that said Julie Valentine Center rather than Greenville Rape Crisis and Child Abuse Center. It keeps her name alive. It keeps her legacy alive in the community. Galloway Williams said in an announcement, while bringing up long-standing grief, also sends a message to others dealing with child abuse cases to always have hope. She also wore a bracelet to the announcement with the same heart design that's found at the memorial sculpture sculpture in Cleveland Park. Christy, the former detective, has been retired from law enforcement now for 10 years, but never stopped thinking about Julie Valentine. He was quoted saying, it takes more out of you to see a child being violated, violated or neglected like that, he said. We always had hope. Christy remembered a cold and dreary day when the baby was discovered. He said every detective in the department descended on the area. They tried to track down subscribers to the Wall Street Journal newspaper, which was left in the box with the child. They looked into the Sears vacuum box and also a red car that was spotted leaving the scene several days earlier. Few pieces of evidence were concrete. Year after year, we were hoping someone would finally get a heart and make a phone call to us, he said. Then, of course, the DNA came around and the technology. Miller said the department used the services of Parabon Nanolabs, which uses genetic genealogy to match DNA to family members. The first time the department used the service was to solve the homicide of Genevieve Jenny Zitricki, I think that's how you say that, who was also killed in 1990. In that case, the department announced in October 2018, 2018, that Robert Eugene Brashers, now deceased, was identified as the Tricky's killer. Police sent the Julie Valentine case to the Parabon Nano Labs in the same month. The Greenville Police Department still has 16 open homicide cases. And to read this story and where I got my info, you can follow the link in the show notes. I wanted to talk about that case just because it interested me. Like I said, it sounded very similar to the boy in the box, which um, you can go find being told by Darren Marler and uh, the weird darkness podcast. And so I also wanted to talk about another case, which is very close to home. And it's the case of Jeremy Jourdain. He was a 17-year-old that went messing, messing, I'm going to fuck this whole thing up, missing here in my hometown. And it's been highlighted on a few of the major news sites like NBC, um, Fox News, and stuff like that. To give you a little bit of the you know story, I'm gonna read off of our newspaper's page, which is the Bemidji Pioneer. So, Jeremy Jourdain was a cast-like teenager who went missing in 2016. He was 17 years old at the time, six foot four inches, and 175 pounds. He was a Native American male. His disappearance set off a large scale manhunt, which included multiple law enforcement agencies, including the U.S. Border Patrol. Because, for those of you who don't know, we are um, close to or fairly close to the Canadian border, so that's why that would play in. Um, On the Embassy News website, If you look it up, there's the whole story, and I'm just going to read it on here. I did try to get, you know, permission, but I'm so moved by this, and I want to bring light back to his case in the hopes that he gets found and is brought back to his family. So just before 9 p.m. on Halloween night in 2016, Seventeen-year-old Jeremy Jourdain was getting ready to go out and celebrate with his friends. He was at his grandfather Joseph Jourdain's house in Cass Lake, Minnesota, where he lived since he was a baby, according to his aunt, Alexandra Tanner. At the top of the hour, a friend picked him up from his grandfather's house, and the pair drove to a party about 20 minutes away in Bemidji. Jeremy's older sister, Jasmine Jourdain, lived in Bemidji, and met Jeremy at the party. Jeremy never came home. The next morning, when Jeremy's aunt, Alexandra, was driving to work, she received a phone call from family alerting her that Jeremy hadn't come home. She told Dateline she drove over to her father's house where Jasmine and the family had gathered. According to Alexandra, Jasmine said that some Sometime during the party, Jeremy and a few of his friends had gone outside to smoke cigarettes. Once outside, Jeremy allegedly ran off without explanation. According to what Alexandra was told, he took off running without saying anything. Just like, I'm out of here, his friend said. It was a, It was very strange. I thought maybe he just wanted to go home, she told Dateline. But Alexandra says it's more than 16 miles from the party to his home in Cass Lake, and she thinks it's unlikely Jeremy could have run that distance. Since Jeremy went missing in Bemidji, his grandfather reported him missing to the Bemidji Police Department at 9 a.m. the morning after the party. Alexandra told Dateline the police immediately began to search the area on foot. According to a statement from the Bemidji Police Department, Jeremy was last sne- last seen at midnight on the night of the party. We have interviewed many people, searched numerous vehicles and private properties, Bemidji police said in a subsequent statement. Searches by air, land, and water have been conducted. We have used airplanes, helicopters, dogs, drones, boats, and canoes to look for Jeremy Jourdain. Alexandra says none of jeremy's social media accounts have been used in the last few years since he vanished and his family still has no idea where he could be we have nothing everywhere we've looked we've searched miles and miles of roads Alexandra told dateline we really want to know what happened we want to know where he's at it's been really hard the past couple of years Alexandra told Dateline it was out of character for Jeremy to go off without telling anybody where he was going. He's the first thing I think of when I wake up, and the last thing I think of when I go to bed, Alexandra said. He was a typical teenage boy. He was more of a homebody, really. He didn't really go out for anything unless it was basketball or a school function. She says Jeremy is a promising basketball player who... Was hoping to play at the college level. The Bemidji police are working with several agencies, including the FBI, to locate Jeremy. We are asking the public to check your land and outbuildings, deer hunters. As you head back out to your cabins, hunting lands, and deer stands, please take time to search for Jeremy, police urged us in a statement in 2017. Jeremy Jourdain is described as being six foot four and weighing 175 pounds with dark brown hair and dark brown eyes. Authorities say he was wearing a blue and gray hooded sweatshirt, blue jeans, and a black and white Air Jordan shoes when he went missing. Jeremy would have been, um, let's see, age because it's 2020. And this was written in 2018. So, 19, 20, 21. He'd be 21 today if he were still here. And I recently was on Facebook and one of my family members had posted a thing on Facebook, you know, bringing up that on October 2019, it had been um, four years or three, three years, three years since he had gone missing. And so to the family, if you happen to hear this, I, I'm sorry if this upsets you, I will take it down right away if I need to. Um, I tried to reach out and get permission, but you know, I, I'm so moved and I really want him to be found. It's sad knowing that it was this close to home And he's still, he's still gone. So I wanted to talk about that and read about it a little bit so that maybe somebody out there who might have some information or might help or we can try to get a group back together and trying to find him. I know that recently on a podcast, I believe, On the Exactly Right Network. Which hosts quite a few different podcasts. But one that's very famous. Is um, My Favorite Murder. Their other podcast I think is called Murder Squad. Don't quote me on that. I have no idea. I haven't really gone and listened to it. But they recently did a case on their show. They did an episode and covered a case. And they were able to bring light to that case. And if I remember correctly, when I was hearing about it, they found the suspect and brought him to custody, brought him to justice. So I'm hoping that even though I have a very small following and, you know, I, I just I want to try my best to do what I can, what I feel I can to make a difference and bring Jeremy home to his family because as a mother, um, you know, I don't know how I would feel if someone I loved, especially my children, were to go missing and, you know, there's no trace, no sign, no leads, no nothing to give me any idea as to where they went so I will post a link in the show notes to find the case about Jeremy um I hope that you know if anyone out there has any information at all pertaining to Jeremy um that you come forward and, you know, help us find him. It's been too many years already since he's been gone with no applicable reason as to why he's missing. And with all of this being said, um, all of the information from the stories today and everything that I've covered will be in the show notes and I really hope that you all enjoyed this episode. Um, please rate, review, comment, you know, I mean, the best way to help me with my podcast and I know I don't upload a lot, but the best way to help motivate me to upload more and to help people listen is to review on Apple Podcasts or, you know, share the episode with your friends, family, whoever. I mean, if there's someone you know that you think would really enjoy this podcast, share it with them for me. That's the best way you can help me. I don't have a Patreon set up right now. I don't have a website set up right now. I'm just kind of recording and throwing episodes up out there in the hopes of somebody listening and that I start getting a bigger following. And I realize that uploading would help a lot, especially if I uploaded more often. But anyway, so if you could leave a comment or a review or share this go follow me on twitter or on instagram or even facebook i have a facebook group for the podcast that i think i literally have maybe two people not including myself that are a part of so let's go make that group a thing or if you follow me on Twitter, you know, at Hooters Dale Pod, not daily, um, or on Instagram at Hooters daily Pod, go follow me. I try to post as often as I can on those places. I will warn you that some of the stuff might be offensive, but hence the disclaimer in the beginning of this podcast... And I really hope that everyone had a lovely Valentine's Day, and that you have a wonderful February, and that you have a wonderful March, question mark? I I don't, there's nothing really big in March, is there? My daughter's birthday. Um, yeah, I'm just rambling on now. I have nothing left really to say. I said everything that I could. Oh! Email me. That's what I wanted to finish off with too. Email me at hootersdaily at gmail.com. Email me stories that you want me to share of whatever. Um, case suggestions. Funny articles that you came across. Send me pictures of, you know, your fan art. Whatever. Just send me stuff. Again, the email as hootersdaily at gmail dot com. And with that, hoot on, my beautiful Hooters.